there is over a trillion dollars of waste in supply chains today. The net zero carbon emission is something that corporates are taking very seriously. To meet these objectives, they're going to have to take into consideration CO2 emissions. Hey, and welcome to Net Zero Carbon. This is the show with Freight Waves, where we deep dive on decarbonization and discuss all things around sustainable supply chains. I'm Tyler Cole, your host, and today I have the pleasure of being joined by Becky Hensley, Senior Manager of Environmental Programs at CSX Railway. Becky, how are you? I'm good, Tyler. Good to see you. I am so happy to have this conversation. We've known each other for some time, and CSX is doing some really exciting, interesting, innovative things in this space, so I'm excited to have you uh, share your your journey with us. And why don't we start there? Why don't we start with the Becky story, how you got to CSX, Great. what your role has been, and how you landed in this one. So yeah, current program, current title is senior manager environmental programs. Um, I've I've been in. I started in consulting about I'll just say over twenty years ago. Uh, I have a degree in environmental engineering, which I think has been helpful throughout my career journey. Um, but I started doing compliance, environmental compliance, and really have worked for the railroad for, again, almost since I graduated from college. So I've, I've worked with the hazmat group, the, um, the remediation group. Um, it really had most of my experience in air, uh, air permitting, air compliance, and then I also have done stormwater and the rest. Um, my last role at CSX before this was for, with Transflow, where we did transloading um, of about 300 different commodities. So I had a lot of in, um, experience in the customer space and then customer chemical space. So that, that's been really good. Um, and now in the, the ESG sustainability space, my, my role is kind of dual part. I have the, the Clean Air Act program, so Clean Air Act permitting and compliance and the locomotive engines and uh, the emissions that come out of the engines having to, to um, be thoughtful about that and how we're reporting and and then also on the ESG sustainability reporting, and I help manage um, our ESG team at, at CSX and, and bring in all those stakeholders. It's not a small job. I'm glad you're in the chair because it's changing all the time, and it's something with your background that you've seen that iteration, that evolution of kind of morphing from purely environmental compliance type programming to now you have more and more pressures coming from non-compliance entities like investors, like customers that want to know the story and know how you're planning to improve, we shall say. So talk a little bit about that evolution because you've seen it firsthand from just your roles at CSX. How has it changed from being purely compliance focused to now trying to satisfy other stakeholder requests? I think what's really interesting is we were getting a lot of, um, let's say, internal requests too. So it's internal and external stakeholders. But um, getting those pings from our commercial team of different different customers who want to have a conversation and get an update on what we're doing. Um, and then I hear directly from our investor relations uh, folks and, and want to have specific questions for targeted investors. And so that's that's fantastic. The, the number of requests and the number of, let's say, pings, data pings um, and, and touch points with those stakeholders has just gone up exponentially. Um, literally in the last two years since I've been here. So um, it, it's trickled in and I now get, we, we now get questions at least every week on on one customer wants to know this and, and a lot of information more specifically about the carbon allocation um, and, and their scope three emissions that are coming from transportation. 
interesting and timely given California's recent uh, rulemaking here on requiring corporates to report. So for anyone listening who does less than a billion dollars in other states, you're probably a supplier. And so you should at least get on board and understand how you need to report your scope one and scope two, because to Becky's point, scope three is all the rage and everyone cares about it. And it's not easy. I mean, you guys make it look a little bit easier than most, Becky, I think. Your reporting's really good. Your ESG report that came out this summer has a ton of good, high-quality data in it. Talk briefly about just the, the complexity and the challenges in just reporting ESG metrics, not just emissions, but kind of the full slate of ESG metrics that are out there. Well, the full slate, I, th- I think a lot of people just think of the environmental metrics and the environmental performance data. That's really just the greenhouse gas reporting um, that and that's a lot. Um, we're lucky in that as a you know a rail rail transportation company, um, the majority of our emissions are all scope one. You know, diesel fuel is is eighty to ninety percent of our scope one and two, which is what we measure for our intensity target right now. Um, but ESG reporting is uh, what are you doing in the community? How are you treating your employees? What does your board of directors look like? What's your governance, your ethics? Um, all of those d- different metrics combined. So even in pull that report together, we're pulling data from at least a dozen, and that's probably on the low end. Probably if you know, probably two dozen different um, business partners on the CSX side. And then even better, you got to make sure everything goes through that lens of have we publicly reported this before? And are we comfortable with publicly reporting this in our ESG report? So there, there's a lot of different reviews. There's a lot of, of checks that have to happen before we hit the publish button. And it's it's not a small uh, it's not a small task by any means. And even among smaller organizations, it's not small, but one as big as CSX with all the different stakeholder groups from legal to marketing to customers, engineers, everyone and your team environmental. I've seen it. It's a big lift. So congratulations on you guys being as proactive as you are and responding to those requests from customers and investors. You mentioned something there that I want to pause and and go back to. And we talked just topically about the rest of the S and the G, how complicated that is. I think the E for the railroad being so heavy scope one and scope two um, is where probably a, not disproportionate, but a large amount of time gets spent because it's so hard with locomotives that last for decades, with diesel being such an entrenched piece of what you guys do, it's really hard to think about um, reducing that footprint and still allowing for economic growth, top line growth. So how, before we get to some specific investments you guys are making that we can talk about, just talk about like, why is it so hard? What What's the biggest challenge to decarbonize? Because everybody wants you to do it, but just kind of state it plainly, like why is it such a challenge for railroads specifically? And, and that's a great question. A lot of people don't realize how long lived our locomotive assets last or, you know, how, how long they survive. And they are meant to be on track for over 50 years. And so it's, it's a great testament to all the great work that our mechanical teams and our operational teams do because they can keep these large uh, powerhouses on, on track and, and running for again over 50 years. So when you have an asset that is, you know, over a million dollars to replace and we can keep it running for 50 plus years, there's there's not a lot of economic incentive to to switch to a brand new locomotive or even go to hydrogen or and even you know the push for us to convert to tier 3 and tier 4 engines, 
um, when we're able to keep the current um, fleet operational for a number of years to come. So that that's kind of part one. So part of the first strategy is how do we make everything as efficient as possible? And that's where a lot of the work for, let's say, trip optimizer, distributed power, um, and some of those technology improvements that have been really critical for fuel savings um, are, have been instrumental for our carbon reduction so far. So that's been fantastic. Absolutely. You mentioned a couple of things there that are worth unpacking for listeners that may not be as in-depth in the rail space. So like tier three and four locomotives, those are, if you're an, a trucking company, think about newer emission standards coming out. So they're regulatory baselines that newer equipment has to comply with from uh, an emissions profile. Is that fair? Yes, okay. absolutely. And then you talked about trip optimizer. Tell me a little bit about that too. I know that's something you guys um, partner with so, your locomotive OEMs on. Yeah, so trip optimizer, my, my easiest way to explain it, it's like cruise control for that you would have in your car that we have for locomotives. So it's, it's embedded in the software that runs the locomotive. So when a trip plan is, is created for a locomotive and a train, um, trip optimizer takes into account the terrain, the hills and the valleys. It takes into account the total weight of the train, the total distribution of, of all of the different car loads. Um, and it, it thinks about if there is distributed power, if there's an engine in the middle, so to speak. And so it, it pulls together all of those data points and creates a plan for how to efficiently run, how to most efficiently run those locomotives from origin to destination. And so that, that might be mean for distributed power. If you've got the locomotives in the middle, you might be pushing up the hill, but you might be pulling downhill and, and putting all of that together. It really is a significant fuel savings for us. And in fact, um, Trip Optimizer last year saved us about 38 million gallons of fuel. So it, it's a huge savings just by being more efficient. And, um, and it takes a little bit of the stress off of the locomotive engineers, you know, and, and it maximizes which notch, which gear the, that engine should be running to make sure we are getting the best, you know, both performance and um, fuel efficiency out of that engine. <laughs> That's a good comparison. And for listeners who, you know, were like me years ago who have this image of, <laughs> cartoon locomotive engineers with people scooping coal in the back of a train. I mean, yeah. that's where we started decades yeah. and decades and decades ago. But I think it's hard for people to shake that image of that, you know, blue collar railway worker and understand how complex and sophisticated yes. and software dependent today's rail industry is. So thank you for explaining that because I think it gives people a view and maybe even just a comparison. You mentioned cruise mm-hmm. control. If you and me are driving cruise control, between the two of us, our MPGs in the same vehicle could be wildly different based on how we're using that technology. Now imagine having, I don't even know, how, how much does a, a mile long train weigh? How much weight is behind you when you're trying to pull and drag across terrains? It, it's it's not wildly the, complicated compared to the cruise control example. Yeah, absolutely. And and I wish I knew that number right off the bat. I, I've, I've got people that I'll pull for, for those yeah. data points. Yeah, but yeah. I, yeah. Millions of pounds, I'm sure. Millions of millions pets. of pets. That's super fascinating. Well, let's I'll, let's lean I'll be in. Correct here. that I'm all sorry. <laughs> we can go back and footnote that. That's not a big deal. Okay. Um, this is the part I get excited about. So let's talk about where we're going. Let's talk about some of mm-hmm. these new technologies, some things you guys are leaning into and investing. What's front of mind for CSX when you guys are thinking about how you decarbonize and move towards some of your your pretty ambitious targets? Maybe set the stage there. What what is the current target, and what are you know 
let's start with one. What's the best yeah. initiative you have to get there? So our, our current target, our current SPTI target is reducing our emissions intensity, our carbon emissions intensity by 37.3% by 2030. Um, we, we are going to have to reset that and, and align with um, the 1.5 degree C for our next renewal, which is which is coming up. So there's there's a lot of great work to do. Um, but what has been fantastic with the leadership support at CSX is, is they've decided years ago that we are going to do the work to uh, not just reduce emissions, reduce uh, fuel usage, because that that ties to the bottom line, that financial, that's probably our biggest expense, huge expense for fuel. So if we can save on fuel, save on emissions, save on carbons, it's it's really, it helps us on all fronts. So uh, with that being said, um, we for the last few years, we've had a few great initiatives being kicked off and a few that have finally, we're finally able to talk about out loud uh, in public. So that's exciting. But um, the first one is kind of the biodiesel testing. So the we're, we're testing 10 engines in Tampa um, on a B20, a 20% biodiesel, 80% traditional diesel mix. And a lot of people ask, why do we have to test? Why can't we just go straight forward? And because these locomotives are required by EPA to meet certain emission standards, we have to test using those fuels and make sure we can meet those same emission standards for NOx and SOx and PM um, and not just carbon, but uh, make sure we can meet the standards using that fuel and and make sure, and then operationally for our folks, make sure we understand what that biodiesel is going to do to a traditional locomotive engine. So that that's important. Um, that's probably the first big one. Um, the, the other cool thing, I guess, with the biodiesel testing is CSX is not alone. Across the industry, you know, other class ones are doing it too. So ideally with all things the way they're going right now, by the end of 2024, we all should have approval based on testing to use a 20% mix essentially across our entire fleet. So that that would be huge for carbon savings. So we're, we're doing the work now and um, and learning what we can learn so that in a, in a year, year and a half time, we can go full steam with with the biodiesel mix. That was an interesting one because it requires collaboration across lots of different spheres, right? Some people think, yeah, just go buy an EV, plug it in, and you're good to go. You still got to buy the green power. There's lots of ways you got to collaborate. And with this one specifically, you've got the locomotive manufacturers who I'm sure have warranty concerns that they want to make sure this works. You've got the fuel producers and suppliers see you guys who now think about delivering higher level blends. So it doesn't just happen overnight. So I'm glad you called out the length of time that that type of initiative could take. And and the collaboration is key. The partnerships are key because because obviously the OEMs, um, this one is an is a Webtech engine. So the partnership with Webtech has been fantastic. And so we we actually have weekly meetings and updates on this biodiesel. So um, what are the test results? How is it coming in? Um, but yeah, that collaboration is is really critical and it, it's great to have a partner. And, and I'll also say internally, because your mechanical folks have to be um, on board and, and there's just a lot of details and, and moving parts that we've got, we have to track. So yeah, it's not an easy lift for sure. Well, it's exciting. And it'll be, I mean, 24 will be here before we know it. You and I yeah. both blank and we'll hopefully have B20 approved and start ramping it up. Yeah, the, the next problem is going to be uh, how do we get more biodiesel sourcing uh, to the East Coast and so much of it, is the biodiesel and the, and the renewables are heading out to the West Coast in California. 
So uh, we do talk to suppliers and we are trying to get ahead of how are we going to source that and have a consistent source uh, going forward. So that's that's a big part of the conversation, too. And um, luckily, some of those sort of some of those fuel sources, they are CSX customers. Yep. Uh, so that makes an interesting conversation as well. Interesting conversation and, and unique in the transition among a lot of fleets is that rail is such an integral piece of bringing new products to market, whether it's renewable diesel moving across the country in rail cars, whether it's biodiesel moving, um, wind turbines, however you guys are getting all of these important things. I don't know, actually know if wind turbines are going on the rail. You have to check the commercial. They are. Thing. I hope so. They are. Fun fact is, is some of that for transportation purposes, uh, they had to be sized so that they would actually fit on rail. Um, so we have a very, you know, tight limit, so to speak, for what needs to fit on a, a flatbed, you know, for trail rail transportation. So yes. Um, Super exciting. It, it, and again, unique to rail because not only do you get to participate with those guys going to market, but yeah. everybody knows that rail is more efficient than trucks. Sorry, truck. It just is what it is. Yeah. You, know, you guys should be seeing more top line interest as well. If people wanting to shift to rail as a way to reduce their scope three emissions. Yep. The, that modal shift is kind of key for us. And that's a lot of what our sales and marketing folks talk about. And, and I'll say what's, what is important. We do know that the, the heavy trucks are becoming, you know, they're doing this work too. They're, they're going electric, they're going hydrogen. They've, they've got all these opportunities. So, um, it is going to be a good competition to kind of keep improving our, our carbon footprint and keep reducing our scope three for our, for the scope three for our customers. Um, but but yeah, that modal shift is a big huge thing that we we think we have the advantage on now. But you know, it it's it's a competition, definitely. Yeah, so. Hopefully, it rise, raises all boats, right? That rising yes. tide is going to get us all decarbonized faster. I agree. Thanks for sharing the biodiesel piece. Is there anything else uh, that you guys are working on immediately, or new sustainable investments on the horizon? So the the big one, and actually got kind of announced this week. We we really were working on it for a year, but we were doing all the work behind the scenes um, to apply with uh, Maryland DOT for a Chrissy grant. So we were the announcement came literally on Monday, where we're talking on a Wednesday. So it was kind of in the background. We were crossing our fingers it would go live. So three battery electric locomotives. So it'll be our first, it's our first battery electric locomotive commitment. Um, it's going into Maryland, it's going into Baltimore. Um, so what's been very interesting in thinking about how this was gonna work because operationally, you can't just put battery electric anything anywhere. So you have to think operationally, where does it fit? So it, it had to fit for kind of local service, local operations. Um, and then the second bit was where do we maybe already have electric power, you know, a significant power uh, coming into a line or a rail yard or an oper or local operation. And then third, a lot of these government grants are being very specific or, or how are you impacting or positively impacting um, community air quality or community environments? Um, what, what is that community piece? So. Um, it, it is kind of exciting how this is all going to align in, in kind of a, a community that can benefit from improved air quality in that area. So that zero emissions piece for these battery electric locomotives is going to be um, quite significant. So the, the NOx, the annual NOx and PM savings just from the, the diesel particulate, um, on, again, we're replacing three mother and slug units, uh, which are non-tiered units. So we talked about emissions. Um, these are 
you know, some of our old, I'll just say some of our oldest machines. And so replacing that with zero emissions is, is absolutely the, the way a lot of um, definitely government grants are hoping to push uh, companies. And we're really excited to, to partner with, with DOT and then Wabtech. These will be Wabtech, FlexSwitch engine. So uh, more to come on that. Super exciting. I'm glad you mentioned, I was going to ask which locomotive manufacturer was. So Wabtech's Battery Electric. Uh, and for those who aren't familiar, Chrissy Grants, you can Google it, but it's Consolidated Rail Infrastructure and Safety Improvements. These are annual uh, federal grants that go to the rail industry. And it's uh, probably rare that you see locomotives being impacted that because more often than not, it's about infrastructure and trackage and, um, you know, making it harder, making it higher, making sure we have safety improvements going on with bridges and things of that nature. So rail, we don't have to go down this rabbit hole, but more than other modes has its own weight cross to bear when it comes to maintaining your own infrastructure, right? You don't have to compete uh, in the same way that trucks do with public highway infrastructure. You guys have to actually devote significant capital expenses every year just to maintaining the safety of the road, let alone these millions of dollars for new locomotives. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, um, a significant portion of, of, of money and financial interests that go into kind of maintaining our assets and bridges and track, you know, across 20,000 miles of track. It, it's not an insignificant expense and, and amount of work. So yeah, we, we, and we did get Chrissy grants on those types of projects too, which was, it, we're very proud of that. But the, the battery electric locomotives for us, these will be the first on the East Coast. Um, definitely the first for CSX and um, it it's exciting kind of where they're going in Baltimore and and what's gonna potentially be on the the cusp of happening uh, for us and for other you know it, it's near a port the port authority is interested and and it, it is it's it's just exciting to be part of that this next generation and being in Baltimore the birthplace of CSX so there, there's the other kind of yeah, great. What, what could be better there? The community's there. And you're right. Talking about local air quality. So many of us in my space think about, well, this is the global problem. It's the atmosphere. It's not really just the local pollutants, which we used to be keenly focused on. Now it's kind of getting lost in the mix of total CO2E and greenhouse warming. But there's such a positive impact for communities that are situated by ports or by rail yards, or by oil and gas infrastructure that have local pollutants so seeing this happen at CSX's birthplace will be really exciting and interesting, especially for those on the ground. Well, that's probably an interesting segue to take this to my last question for guests, which I always ask everybody is, what's your personal motivation for being involved with sustainable practices at your workplace? Well, I my it's kind of twofold, I guess. I, I have been working with CSX for so long, you know, as a consultant first and now on the inside. Um, I'm, I'm really proud and grateful to be in this role, you know, for sustainability and ESG and, and to be a part of what really the great work we are doing forward. Um, it, it, it is a heavy lift. It's a lot of work, but man, is it exciting. And it, it's really exciting to be part of this really old industry and, um, kind of that next transition, that next power transition and, some of the things I tell people, a lot of people don't realize, hey, we're 200 years old. The first 100 years was was coal-fired steam. Second 100 years was diesel fuel. And and we're, here we are on the edge of starting the next 100 and, and really starting with uh, some, the next alternative fuels, batteries, 
And then hydrogen, we, we didn't even get to talk about hydrogen today. So that's another. That's a whole nother conversation. And it's that, so exciting. And it is important to look back. You mentioned that like when there was coal steam powered, there were water tanks every 30 miles along all of these rail mm-hmm. corridors because yeah. you needed water to be steam uh, for the locomotive to move. And now that's no longer a thing since we've moved. So we know it's possible to build out the infrastructure. We know EV charging is probably a little more complicated than a water tank, but we can do it. You give the engineers <laughs> enough time and money. I'm confident we're going to figure it out. Exactly. You can get the right, we got the right people. And and I think it's it's one of those just to stay curious and what else can we be doing? And, and I think all companies, when you think of carbon transition, or even if if you're bold enough to have a net zero ambition of like, all right, wh- what are we going to do? Well, we're going to try everything, all of the above. Uh, I've heard that a few times of like, and that that's kind of what we're doing is is we're doing all of the above. And it, it's kind of exciting to be able to talk out loud, you know, now in a public space about the the battery electric locomotives um, because we really take it take, takes a lot of work behind the scenes to, to make this stuff happen. So, you know, it's super exciting. Well, we are recording this a week after Kleiner Week. This is late September when that announcement's coming out. Hopefully we're going to fast forward, you know, 12 months or so and have you back on the show and see kind of what the latest initiatives are and hopefully see how that rollout's going. Well, in a, in a year from now, it'd be great because uh, we hope to have our first uh, fuel cell, hydrogen fuel cell locomotive by the end of the year. So Let's there's go. a lot, a lot going on and a lot to talk about. Well, thank you for the encouragement, for reminding listeners to stay curious and congrats on all the success so far for yourself and for CSX. No, I appreciate it. Thanks for the time, Tyler. It's been fun. Anytime. See you, Becky. over a trillion dollars of waste in supply chains today. The net zero carbon emission is something that corporates are taking very seriously. To meet these objectives, they're going to have to take into consideration CO2 emissions. 